Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We find an interesting story that many of you have read, that I have read, and that God, I'm just going to be honest with you, God has shown me some incredible things this week in my studies. Uh, As you teach, as a teacher, uh, you teachers in the room know this, uh, you have to master what you're teaching in order to teach it, right? You've got to have as good of an idea uh, as your, of your head wrapped around what you're, the subject matter you're teaching uh, so that you can teach it to your students. Now, I don't profess to have my head all wrapped around all that Scripture is and all that God is teaching in this text, but it's amazing how God gives you things. Man, God's Word is living and active, and I've preached this text before, but God just had give, gave me things that I saw in a brand new light, and I'm so excited to share that with you. And so in John chapter 12, what we're talking about today, we're going to be asking questions about this, right? Because when you start talking about money, people start asking questions, right? People are skeptical. No, oh, the preacher's talking about money. Well, why would we give it? Who are we giving it to? How, what, what's it going toward? All, all of these things. You start asking all of these different questions, right? Because money is a hot-button topic, right? It's almost like it points to our leaning toward idolatry. But I didn't, you know, that's for you and the Lord to decide. But then people start asking a lot of questions, right? You start, how, how are you spending my money, right? And so I want to ask these questions of Scripture, Right? And I just want to go through them one by one and just kind of ask, you know, what is the, the why of giving is what we're talking about today. How are we giving? What's the how? What, what, what are we giving to? I want to continue to ask these questions because they're important. Listen, the Bible says test everything. Everything. And hold fast to what is good. That's 1 Thessalonians 5. Test everything and hold fast to what's true. Do you know what's amazing about the truth? It doesn't mind being tested. Why? Because it's true, right? When people start covering up things, it's because there's lies in it. And so God's word, I believe as we lead you, as I lead you through this season of of considering how we are giving to the Lord, I want you to test everything. I want you to ask questions for yourself. Search scripture for yourself and see as God begins to teach you. But in John chapter 12, verse 1, we see an amazing account. It's also mentioned in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14. John chapter 12 is where we're going to stay, but there's some things that we're going to glean and pick from, other, from these other parallel passages that they give us a little more information. So I'll bring those up as we, as we get there. But listen to what it says in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. We find out that he was at Simon the leper's house. Simon, who he had apparently healed from leprosy, they were there at Bethany. So they came to a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. This was not very far removed from when Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, right? And so Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are all here, and it's interesting, Mary did what Mary does best, did she not? She's, she's serving again, right? This is separate from when Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha's working busily and tells Jesus, Jesus, tell Mary to get up and help me, 
right? Like these, these, these vittles aren't going to cook themselves, right? We got to work on this. We need some help with these deviled eggs. Jesus, tell her to get up, right? And what does Jesus tell her? I'm not going to take away. She's chosen the best thing. And so she's sitting and she's learning at the feet of her master. But listen what it says in verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment. This is the only passage that tells us it's Mary of Bethany that does it, right? The other two accounts don't tell us it's Mary, but we know that it's Mary, based on this account, took a pound of expensive ointment and made, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? The denarii is basically the amount of money, uh, denarius is the amount of money that you would earn in a day's work. So 300 days worth of work went into the purchase of this product. And he said, could it not have been given to the poor? But listen what John tells us. No other, no other verse, no other uh, text tells us this. It said he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Well, why, Jesus, would you allow this, this gross waste of money to happen here. We could have given in, we couldn't have put it toward the poor, knowing all along Jesus knew what he was thinking. Listen to what it says in verse 7. Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but you will not always have me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, Give me great wisdom, Lord, as we deal with this text, as we glean truth from this text. God, let me speak what only your word speaks. God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. I pray that you would communicate through me this truth, God, as you have laid it on my heart for your people, and that you would preach through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's look first at the faithful giver. On the screen, the faithful giver. Let's look at Mary and what this passage tells us about Mary. In, in verse 3, we find that Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Other, uh, depending on the translation that you read, your translation of, of Scripture may say spike nard, right? This was a very specific type of ointment, very specific type of oil uh, that was used. It was from the root of a plant in India. The reason why it was expensive is not because of really how precious it was, but how far it had to be imported, right? And so they were traveling, it was had to travel all the way from India, which at that time would have been extremely costly, taking a really long period of time. And so Mary had this alabaster jar, we find out it's alabaster in, in, in parallel accounts, an alabaster jar of ointment, a pound of ointment, uh, that was made from spikenard. And, and actually, it's pretty interesting. I actually found some. This is an essential oil, apparently. Everything's an essential oil. It's amazing how long I lived without essential oils. So how essential are they? I don't know, but that's yeah, a debate for another time. They're good, I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, they're essential. 
I don't know, maybe just like important oils. Uh, but anyway, so this is an essential oil I purchased. I did not mean to, to hit that at all. Um, this is an uh, essential oil that you can find. It's spikenard. I looked it up, uh, found it on Amazon and ordered it. Uh, and, and so this is, this is what Jesus was anointed with at Bethany. And the Bible tells us, the, the other accounts tell us that he didn't just, she didn't just anoint his feet, she anointed his head as well. She covered Jesus in this entire pound of ointment, of oil, she covered her Savior. So the first point I want to bring out about this on your, on your screens is Mary's worship was saturated in love. Saturated in love. Get the picture, right, that, that a, a lady who is listening, uh, who, is, who has listened to Jesus, sat under Jesus, seen Jesus raise her, her brother, right, rushes into the room, takes the most expensive thing that you've probably laid eyes on in some time, breaks it open, and pours it on her Savior. And, and not just that, on his head and on his feet, but when she gets down to the feet, she not only takes the posture of a servant, but even greater than a servant, she begins to wash his feet, dry his feet, with her very hair. Instead of use, using a towel, which would have been customary for a servant at the time, she's using her hair to wash Jesus' feet. This was a, a moment of incredible love, that it was obvious to everyone in the room how much Jesus meant to Mary. Mary's worship was saturated in love. See, this wasn't the first time at Jesus' feet. In fact, the three times that we hear mention of Mary, she's at Jesus' feet. The first time we find it is in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, where she's sitting and listening, as we talked about before, she's listening to Jesus as he speaks, as he teaches, while her sister is running around like crazy, getting everything set up for the party. She's sitting at the feet. And so at the feet of Jesus, Mary found her blessing. In John chapter 11, we see that Jesus came to Jesus' feet and threw herself down at her feet and exclaimed, Jesus, if you would have only been here, my brother would not have died. So she received blessing from Jesus' feet. She threw her burdens at Jesus' feet. And in this account, we find Mary giving her best. At Jesus' feet. Mary was used to being at Jesus' feet. And, and church, let me tell you, if you desire a love relationship with Jesus, let me tell you where you need to be is at Jesus' feet. Why did Mary have the love that she had for him, that she had for Jesus? It wasn't just because she brought her brother, her, she saw him bring her brother back from the dead. But because of everything before, she had a posture of listening, of being taught from the Master. When you sit at Jesus' feet, you begin to understand and love Him. Not just for what He can do for you, but for who He is. This woman, Mary, loved Jesus and lavished her love on Jesus. But there's more to it than that. 
There's more to it than just love. If we stop there, that's an amazing demonstration of worship. That's an amazing demonstration of a love offering, of a love gift. 300 days worth of labor poured out on a man, poured out on a teacher, poured out on a Messiah. There's enough to be said about that to make a message. But I don't believe that's all that we see here. Secondly, Mary's worship was motivated by faith. Mary's worship was saturated in love, but Mary's worship was motivated by faith. Why do we give? Why do we, why do we give? If our why is big enough, if our why is big enough, we can answer anyhow and we can overcome any what. If our why is big enough, if we get it right, if we get this right, if we get the why of our worship, the why of our giving, the why of our obedience, if we get the why right, everything else will take care of itself. And the why is simply worship for God. Why do we give? Why is it that we give? If we give with Jesus in mind... We're going to worship him through our giving. If we are worshiping ourselves, then we're going to be skeptical and we're going to hold with tightly clenched fist everything that we've received. right? But when our eyes are on Jesus, the love for him compels us to give. Ultimately, because giving is a beautiful, beautiful form of worship. But Mary's worship was more than just love. It was motivated by faith. Listen to what it says in John 12, 7. Jesus said, leave her alone. A parallel account says after that, it says, it is a beautiful thing that she has done. Leave this woman alone. Leave Mary alone. It is a beautiful thing that she has done so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Jesus recognized that Mary was doing something more than just loving on Jesus. And we could stop there, and that's rich enough. But Mary's gift, Mary's worship, Mary's giving was a demonstration of faith. And Jesus said, it's for the day of my burial. Jesus said Mary's worship was beautiful. It, it's beautiful to me. Now, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I don't know exactly how much of this was really known to Mary as she was doing it. I believe what we see primarily is that she was being obedient and loving on Jesus the way that God had called her to love on her Messiah. But there is something greater that is happening than just love in this passage. But I believe Mary's worship was motivated by faith. Did you know that this is the only time that Jesus' body was ever anointed? It was a common practice in that day when someone would die that they would be anointed. And especially after three days when the body would begin to decay and there would begin to be a smell, people would come and they would put spices and they would put herbs to cover the stench of their deceased and decaying loved one. That happened on day three. Matter of fact, if you remember the narrative of Jesus' death, Mary and Mary... 
were going to the tomb with what? Spices. They were going to the tomb, and, and my, my wife asked me this question. It's a great question. She said, well, does that mean that they didn't have enough faith to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? I don't believe necessarily that it was just not enough faith. I don't believe they understood it entirely what Jesus was telling them. So they came that third day with spices to anoint Jesus' body. Chances are there was some spikenard in it. That was a common use of spikenard was to anoint the bodies of the dead, to cover the stench of the decay. But we long since know about the Messiah from David, right? From the psalmist David, who in Psalms chapter 12, or excuse me, Psalms chapter 16, what did he say? You will not allow my Holy One to, your Holy One to see corruption. He was talking about himself, but he was also talking about who? He's talking about Jesus. And so the, the Old Testament prophets and the priests knew that the Messiah would not see decay. Now, many people thought that means he would never die, but he would never see decay. What we see here with Mary anointing Jesus was the only time that Jesus was ever anointed for burial. And Jesus said as much. Jesus said, he, she's anointing me for my burial. Because Jesus knew in three days when they come with spices and spikenard and other things to make me smell better, they're going to realize that my body's not decaying, that I have been risen. Mary in this gift was not just giving her love. I believe Mary understood what Jesus was about, what's about to happen to Jesus. I believe Barry knew in faith that his body would not see decay. And if, you, if she was going to anoint him, it was going to have to be when he's living because by the time he's dead, it's too late. His body won't see decay. And so we see in this Mary's worship motivated by faith. But what is absolutely certain about this is that there's no limit what God can do with your simple obedience. Mary, maybe Mary was oblivious to it all. But Jesus said, this is for my burial. Because if anybody in that room knew what would happen three days into his death, Jesus knew it. Jesus knew that he would be raised and he said, this woman is doing what is in obedience to God because she is preparing me for something that will never happen. In that preparation while he was living, it was a testimony to his raising. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing that through her anointing, him as he was living, it was a testimony that he would never see decay and that he would be raised from the dead. At minimum, Mary was in on the worship. At maximum, God had showed that to her. But whatever the case, Mary worshiped, not just out of love, but out of incredible faith. Why did Jesus say what she did was beautiful? Because the beauty of what Mary did was rooted in the good news of Jesus. That he would suffer and that he would die, but he would raise again on the third day. Mary's gift, Mary's worship, Mary's lavish offering, 300 days worth of labor, 
was a worship service devoted to the gospel. That Jesus would not see decay. And his body, before it happened, his body would be raised before this ointment could ever find his dead corpse. What an amazing picture that we see here of Mary's incredible worship. All of this amazing imagery is going on here. And then we have Judas. Let's look secondly at the foolish thief. We've seen the faithful giver. Let's look at the foolish thief. By the way, all godly giving should be traced back to the gospel. If you're giving to anything, you better be able to defend how it ties back to the gospel. How it ties back to seeing the glory of God extended. Right? That's how you know the faithfulness of what you give to is if it's tied back into reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, exclaiming the glory of God to the ends of the earth. But then we see Judas, who misses everything. This amazing picture, and Judas misses it. He says, why is this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Well, that would be a logical explanation. As a matter of fact, the other texts tell us that the disciples agreed with him. There were multiple disciples that agreed with what Judas was saying. So not only was Judas missing out on the worship, right, which we almost get, we almost understand that, but other disciples are going, hey, yeah, that, that's right. What, why is she doing that? Like, she wasted that. Like, we could have totally used that, and man, Jesus, your ministry could have been furthered. They missed the bigger picture of what was happening. It's amazing to see how the world today gives things in order to get things, right? The world's willing to give as long as they get something in return. So I work with a 501c3 called First Priority, and one of our jobs is to fundraise. And in that fundraising, what's always interesting is we we establish business partnerships in the area Right, and we sit down with a business leader and say, hey, listen, we got this going on. This is how many people that have come to Christ as a result of this ministry. This is how many people we're ministering to. And we make this pitch to them. And we say, would you participate in it? And you'd be amazed how many of those leaders will, if it's just to participate, if it's just, hey, will you seat into what's going on? It's amazing how many of them draw the line there. No, we're just, it's not, you know, it's not good for us right now. But if, if you can stick their name on something, and you just learned this in, in fundraising, if you can stick their name on it, if you can give them credit, if you can get them to sponsor a hole for your golf tournament, if somewhere they can see their, their picture and their marketing, then all of a sudden it's, it's worth it. See, today we live in a world that people love to give in order to get. In fact, there's many times in my life that I went on mission trips. I gave of whole weeks of my summer so that I would get to feel better about not leading my campus to Jesus, that I was in every day. We give so often to get, and that's exactly what Judas was expecting. He knew he wouldn't see a cent of that 300 denarii. He knew he wouldn't see a cent of it, right? And Because it was poured out on Jesus. It was all given to Jesus. Now, it's not that he maybe grossly overextended, but it, He just liked to live on some of the money that was brought in. 
It sounds a lot of like how we structure our life, that we are willing to give as long as we can live on the rest. We are willing to give, Lord. We're willing to tithe. We're willing to even give an offering as long as we can live on the rest. It's exactly what Judas was guilty of. And he would take money. He would take money for them. And so on your screen, what God calls worship, the world calls waste. Have you ever tried to explain why you tithe to a lost friend? You get some really fun conversations. Oh, y'all just paying that guy's salary. That's all you're doing. You're just paying for that preacher to have to not have to work his whole life. That's all you're doing. You know, it's amazing the kind of conversations that you get in when you talk to lost people about how you give for the cause of Christ. But what the world, what God calls worship, what was obviously worship for Mary, the disciples and Judas looked at and said, man, what a waste. But Mary didn't care. Mary didn't care. None of their objections, none of their ridicule, none of their uh, glares seemed to matter because Mary was focused, as a true giver is, she was focused on one thing. Glorifying God through her worship. That was the only thing that mattered. And so the final thing that I want to share is the fragrant gift. There's one other thing that I want to I share. I don't want to miss because I think it's incredible. As I've already said, this, this offering, this spikenard that was used as a burial uh, to hide decay of, bar- of buried bodies was poured out on Jesus, right? Proving it was, it was, in a sense, it was looking forward to when he would be raised from the dead, that the gospel was all over what Mary was doing but there's something else there in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 3, in part B, it says, The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The house was filled with the fragrance. See, Mary's worship didn't just impact her and Jesus. Oh, it was only for Jesus. Don't mix that. It was only for Jesus. Mary didn't say, hey, I'm going to show those disciples how to worship. Watch this, boys. She didn't say that. She rushed in, she broke the ointment, and she anointed Jesus. Her worship was for Jesus. But let me tell you about her worship, and let me tell you about your worship. Your worship and my worship and her worship and anyone's worship of the Lord is never done in a vacuum. It's never done without other people watching. And I imagine, let me tell you, I've opened this stuff and I've gotten some of this stuff on my hands, right? I don't just, maybe I talk like Jesus sometimes, maybe I walk like Jesus. Right now, I smell like Jesus, okay? Uh, I've gotten this on my hands. Man, this stuff is some concentrated stuff. This is pure nard. And she poured out a pound of this stuff on Jesus. Man, I imagine that house smelled like that for weeks. For weeks, that people walking by would go, what in the world is that smell? What's going on? Right, And the fragrance filled the room. Warren Wiersbe brings out an amazing point. I think it is so cool and so timely. Warren Wiersbe said, the fragrance of that gospel perfume 
has been spreading across the face of the earth ever since. That fragrance didn't end in that room. That worship, saturated in the gospel, pointed toward the gospel, pointed toward what Jesus was and who he was and what he was doing and what he was going to do. And that message spread over the face of the earth. It was a beautiful fragrance. What does is, what is God use to describe our worship to him? It's an aroma. It's a fragrance, right? And this fragrance has never stopped spreading. Now to every corner of the world, the name of Jesus is mentioned. And there's still countries where that can't happen and where that hasn't happened. And so the, his, the perfume of the gospel, the smell of the gospel is continuing to spread over and over and over again. And it began with the simple giving worship of Mary, who gave the best she had at Jesus' feet. And the fragrance of that offering, people have been experiencing the effects of that offering for the rest of history. Giving is an act of worship that allows the fragrance of the gospel to spread. Why do we ask you to give? Because, as we talked about last week, giving gives oxygen to vision, right? Our vision is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. Giving is an act of worship. It's between you and God, and I would never get in between the middle of that. But it's an act of worship for God that allows the fragrance of the gospel to spread to others. Church, this is why we give. If God has impacted your soul, if God has moved in your heart, why wouldn't I share that with others? And so what I did as an illustration, now being sensitive of everybody's allergies and everything that you may have going on, uh, we have a diffuser here that actually has some of the spikenard, the essential oils. Actually, so if you're in the front, you might be able to smell a little bit of it. But if you'd like to come by, you're more than welcome to do that, to come by and smell some of that fragrance, exactly what Jesus was anointed with there at Bethany, to just get a, 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 a glimpse of what that smelled like, get a glimpse of what that worship service was like to experience that, uh, we have that set up. And so as you leave today, you're welcome to, to go by and, and smell that. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decent smell. It's not a bad smell. Um, but think about that in our own lives, in our own giving. What am I doing to spread the fragrance of the gospel? What am I doing to make sure that others around me are impacted with the gospel of Christ. Church, we don't do it for them. We do it for the glory of God, but it's seen by others. Right? Jesus said it best in Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. Our job is to be connectors with people to the power of Christ. What are we doing to spread that fragrance? How is, our, how is our giving tied into that? Are we giving everything that we have? Have we surrendered all that we have to him? If you would bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here in this place and maybe you've 
never surrendered to Jesus. Maybe for whatever reason, maybe there's never been a time in your life where you surrendered to this gospel message. This message that's been spreading from the worship service between Mary and Jesus so many years ago when she poured out her ointment and her oil on Jesus. Till now, maybe you've never responded to the gospel of Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus is the Son of God. That he came to this world and he did what you and I couldn't do. He lived a sinless life. And he died on a rugged cross. He died a sinner's death for me and for you. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he was who he said he was. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And if you have never responded to the gospel of Jesus, I don't want you to leave this place without having that opportunity. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, listen, it's as easy as, as, as professing faith in him, right? Admitting to God that you're a sinner, that you've failed, that you've made mistakes. Believing what we've already talked about, who Jesus was as God's son, that he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. And then finally, you need to confess. You need to confess him as your savior and your Lord. And you can do that today. We would love, we would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus. We have counselors in the back. In my left hand, your right hand side of the room, when I say amen, you're welcome to come to the front. I'm here to receive you as well. But you don't have to do that. You can just slip right out and go right to one of those counselors when I say amen and tell them, I need to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That's all you have to do. You can slip right out. You can come to the front. That's fine. I'll pray with you. And I'll transfer you right along to one of them. Or you can slip right out. I need a relationship with Jesus today. Maybe you're here and maybe you're holding back. Maybe you have stopped short of surrender in your life, in areas of your life. Maybe you just need to give it all over to him. Whatever you need to do in this time of invitation, I pray that you would do it. This altar's open. You can do business with the Lord. You can pray. You can make your seat your altar. Whatever it is, we want you to know that you have the ability. Uh, we would love to see you. Don't, don't allow your pride don't allow fear to get in the way of what God desires to do in your heart. Maybe you want to join our church. We'd love to link arms with you as a body of believers and help as we work together to reach people with the gospel, to continue this fragrance. But whatever it is, whatever decision you need to make, I pray that you would, in these next few moments, that you would make that decision got counselors in the back. would love to talk to you. My left, your right hand side of the room. When I say amen, you move. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would bind it to our hearts. God, I pray that our worship, God, would be a pleasing aroma to you. God, as it was with Mary at your feet, as she worshiped you and gave her gave you her best. God, I pray that we would give you our best in these next few moments. I pray for the one that needs to receive you. Give them boldness, God, to do what they need to do and, and to respond to your calling in their life. Father, I pray for the one that needs to join this church. I pray for the one that needs to get their baptism in order. God, I pray for those that need to make decisions. Lord, maybe they need to go to somebody and get something right with them. Lord, whatever it is, we pray that you would have your will and way. 
Father, we love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray.